Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. I mean, what else can you do? You have to follow him. I mean, what else can you do? I mean, what else is there to do after knowing who he is and what he's done? What else can I do with my life? I have to follow Jesus. I have to yield my heart to him. I have no other, there's no other recourse for me. Once I've seen who he is, once I've tasted his love for me, what other options do I have in life? Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, I feel like running around this building right now. (laughs) He crushed the serpent's head. It's a prophecy in Genesis 3 that he had crushed the serpent's head. You know, this, um, in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, uh, um, Obviously, the author took some journalistic liberties. He took a verse out of Revelations chapter 21, verse number 5, where it says, He who sat on the throne, behold, I make all things new, or I'm making all things new. And he said to me, write for these words are true and they're faithful. And in the video that we saw and in that scene from the Passion, uh, it's Christ you know, was, it fell under the weight of the cross and he was face to face with his mother on the streets of Jerusalem, crown of thorns, bleeding from every part of his body. And he looks at his mother and he says, mother, I'm making all things new. That is exactly, is exactly what he was doing. He came to make this world new. He came to make his, his sons and daughters brand new. He came to bring us out of death and bring us into life. He came to wash your mind and make everything about you new. It's the power of renewal. It's the power of the the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ takes dead things and makes them alive. He's making all things new. The question that has to be answered, is this resurrection seed, is this resurrection life inside of you? Is he making all things new in your life? You know, I think of this, one of the great stories in the Bible, of course, is the story of, of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There were actually family friends. Jesus was friends with this family. It's where he would, would stop when he was passing through Jerusalem at Bethany, just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. He'd stay in their home. He'd eat meals with them. He would hang out at their house. Lazarus was his friend. And toward the end of Jesus' ministry, someone sent word to to Jesus that Lazarus was sick to the point of death, and Jesus hesitated. He waited, did not respond immediately and go to the house, but he actually showed up at their home four days later. And Lazarus had by that point been dead for four days. And he went, he went to minister to Mary and to Martha and they were weeping and they were telling him, Lord, if you had only been here four days ago, everything would have been okay. You would have touched Lazarus and he would have been healed. And he said, if you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God. And he took them out to the, to the tomb just outside of their, their, near their house and, and said, roll away the stone. And they said, Lord, he's been in there for four days. By now, he's stinking. You know what he was doing? He was, this miracle was a prophetic act. It was a prophetic action. It was an illustrated sermon, if you will. 
He was illustrating exactly what he was doing and what he was about to do. Mankind is Lazarus. I am Lazarus, dead in trespasses and in sins, in a tomb of death with no way to get out. No human can get us out. No doctor can get us out. No wealthy man can get us out. None of our good deeds can get us out. We are dead in our trespasses beyond human help. And Jesus said, roll away the stone. And he said in John 11, verse 25, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Roll away the stone. And Lazarus came up out of that tomb wrapped in his grave clothes, hopping in his grave clothes. And Jesus pointed to him and said, loose him and let him go. Unwrap him from his grave clothes. This was a picture of the ministry of Jesus. As a matter of fact, these these men, that that particular week became the, the week of Jesus' arrest this miracle was the, was the coup de grace. It was the last brick on the back of the camel. The Pharisees and the Sadducees could take no more. This to them was a public humiliation, this raising of Lazarus from the dead. And they determined from that moment to arrest him and to have him crucified. Not only were they looking to arrest Jesus and have him crucified, they were looking for Lazarus as well and wanted to arrest him. They wanted to do away with the supernatural. You know, it's the way the, the world is. It's okay to have religion. It's okay to go to church. It's okay to have your philosophies and your mantras. But don't let the power of God come on the scene. Don't let resurrection life come on the scene. It's too messy. It messes with everyone's lifestyle and their habits. But you know what, so what happened, this, this particular day, Lazarus came up from the dead and he lived for many years and his life became a living, walking testimony to the power of God. His life was a testimony that there's life in Jesus, that he is resurrection and life. He was a living testimony that one day all of the graves are going to open up and we're going to come out, given new bodies. The resurrection, this Sunday morning as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are in fact celebrating our own resurrection. We were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in need of forgiveness. And Christ came through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. We were restored to God. I want to give you a few thoughts for you to think about this Easter Sunday, about the the effect of the resurrection on our lives today. Romans 4.25, very powerful verse. One of those verses, if, if we're not very careful, we can easily overlook this verse. But it says something very powerful to us. He was delivered up, Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. You know, every time I see that Roman legionnaire who was in charge of the beating of Jesus, it does something on the inside of me. When he stood up, I wanted to stand up. I wanted to stand up and confront him. I remember the first time I saw that movie. I was sitting on the front row at the Palace Theater. That screen right in my face as the beating was taking place. 
And I remember getting anger and hostility rising up inside of me. I wanted to stand up and, and grab those soldiers. I thought, what are you doing? And then the, the Lord spoke to me. He said, hey, hey, calm down a little bit. He said, actually, it wasn't the soldiers that killed him. It was you. It was your sins. He was delivered because of my offenses. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, delivering him over to death because it was my offenses. I was the one that whipped him. I was the one that nailed him to a cross. He did it for me. He died at the hands of wicked men to fulfill the predetermined plans of Almighty God. It was the plan of God. And he used wicked people to fulfill his plans. He's doing that every day. He works through good people and he works through bad people to do his will. Because he is sovereign and he's running the show, my friends, at the end of the day. He was delivered up because of our offenses. And he was raised because of our justification. Both death and the resurrection of Jesus are necessary for forgiveness of sins and justification. He was raised for our justification. When God the Father raised Christ from the dead, it was a demonstration that he accepted Christ's suffering and death as full payment for sin, that the Father's favor, no longer his wrath against sin, was directed toward Christ and through Christ toward those who believe. So this resurrection of Christ was saying that now I stand accepted before the Father. My sins have been taken care of. My sins have been atoned. My sins have been paid for. Christ has purchased me with the price of his blood. In that empty tomb, that empty grave cries out to me, forgiven, your sins are forgiven. Your sins, your dark blots on your life have been washed away. Though my sins were as scarlet, now I am as white as snow. No matter what kind of stain is on your conscience, no matter what kind of of past you have, no matter what kind of vile sin you have committed, the blood of Jesus is able to cleanse thoroughly and totally. Though my sins were as scarlet, now I'm whiter than snow. And the resurrection proves that it's true. The sacrifice has been acceptable. Because Christ was raised from the dead. Because he was raised from the dead, not only am I forgiven, but I am born again as well. It says in John chapter 20 that the disciples, that first Easter evening, he had gathered together because of fear of the Jews and fear of the Romans. They were afraid they were going to be executed just like Christ was executed. And they were there. There was only 11 of them now. Jesus had been killed and Judas had committed suicide. There was 11 left. In that room, scared and shaking and trembling. They had heard rumors that that Christ had risen from the dead, but they didn't know what to believe. Until what happened next happened. Suddenly, Jesus walked right through the wall, and he was standing there. He's standing there. He showed him his hands and his feet. There he was, looking them face to face. And he said, give me some fish and some bread. And he sat down, and he ate with them to prove that he wasn't a vision, an apparition, a ghost. He was a human, resurrected body standing there conversing with them. 
And then he communicated with them, and this is life changing. He said in John, it says in John 20, verse 20 through 23, when he, when he had said this, he breathed on them. He breathed his breath into their nostrils. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus was on purpose reenacting an event that took place several thousand years before. It was when the Father first created the first man, the very first man. The Bible says that God took some dirt from the ground and he he shaped and formed this beautiful being called Adam. You know, Jesus, our, our Father in heaven, was a greater sculptor than Michelangelo. He was the greatest of all sculptors. He's the potter. And he has formed Adam in his image. He created him. And then he took, he lifted, I can picture him lifting him up, looking face to face. And he breathed into his nostrils, it says in Genesis. The ruach, the breath, the wind of God, the spirit of God. He breathed in his nostrils. And Adam was no longer dirt. He became a living soul created in the image of God by the breath of God. I was dead in my transgressions and in my sins. These 11 disciples were dead in their transgressions and in their sins, but but the blood had been offered. Resurrection had been accomplished. That day, Jesus grabbed them, and just as the Father had looked into Adam's eyes, Jesus was looking into the face of these 11 men, and he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And life went into their being. Their whole being began to be permeated with the life of God. They were born again, as we know it, the first born again Christians. The Spirit of God coming into their being. Life entered into their being. Oh, no longer dead in their trespasses and in their sins. Their sins forgiven. And now this same resurrection life that had raised Christ from the dead had had entered into their being, into their nostrils and into their lungs and into their inner man, into their spirit, into their mind, into their whole being. And resurrection life was now inside of them. They were being changed. No longer afraid of the Romans. Oh, they were turned into lions roaring in the streets of Israel, preaching the gospel, laying hands on the sick. Everything changed. They saw him. They touched him. And he breathed in them the breath of life. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? I'm not talking about a routine little prayer. His life entered into your being. How do you know? You know when this life comes into you. Oh yeah, how do you know? Life change. There's a change of your nature. There's a change of your affections. There's a change of who you are. You are transformed from death into life, from darkness into light as breath of God comes into you and you are born again. Let's go on and let's, I want to I finish this message. Acts 2, uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is connected to the resurrection. This is how Peter said it on that day of Pentecost. He was talking about David and he said, therefore David being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body according to the flesh he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. So Peter is saying David was prophesying about the resurrection when he quoted this. That his soul would not be left in hell, nor would his flesh see corruption. 
This Jesus, Peter said, has God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. The crowd had gathered in Jerusalem because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because of the glossolalia, the speaking in tongues, and the celebration of joy. They gathered together, accused them of public drunkenness. Peter responded with this message. And he said, these people standing here with me right now, we are all witnesses. We've seen him with our eyes. We're not following cunningly devised fables. We're not talking about something somebody told us. We saw him ourselves. He's alive. He's not dead. And then he said that, he said, this Jesus is God raised him up, which we're all witnesses. Therefore, everyone say therefore. Being exalted to the right hand of God. This resurrected human being has been raised up and he's seated today. There is a man at the right hand of God. A resurrected man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He's seated at the right hand of God. My mediator, my high priest, and my soon coming king. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's exalted to the right hand of God. And he received something that the Father promised him in eternity. The father promised him, son, if you'll go and become one of them and take their place, I will give you sons and daughters and they'll receive the Holy Spirit and enjoy this intimacy that we've enjoyed from eternity. And Jesus said, I, he received the promise of the father. He received the Holy Spirit when he sat down at the right hand of God. And what happened? Peter said, that what you see in here? See that guy speaking in tongues and rolling on the floor over there? He received something. This is that which Joel the prophet spoke about. See that person jumping up and down and laughing over there? They received something. You see that person weeping uncontrollably? Oh, they they received something. This is that which Joel the prophet spoke about. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And because he's been resurrected, he received a promise. The promise is the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not an afterthought. It's not the cherry on top of the Christian experience. It is the Christian experience. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is what was purchased at Calvary. That was what was purchased, the fullness. This is that. It's Christianity at its very essence. It's the glory of the resurrection. Also, this resurrection is connected to the healing of our bodies. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Paul said, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells inside of you. There is life in the Holy Ghost. There's healing power. The healing power of the resurrection is more powerful than all the scientific discoveries of our day. We live in a day of incredible medical and scientific breakthroughs. All of these are a shadow in comparison to the resurrection power that's flowing from the face of the Son of God. The Son has risen with healing in His beams. There is radiation light flowing from the Father that quickens the dead. One day this radiation light will quicken millions of dead bodies and they'll be raised up and given immortal bodies like him. In the meantime, in the meantime, the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead, if he dwells in you, he has an effect on your human mortal body. 
I believe in the healing power of Jesus of Nazareth. I believe in laying hands on the sick and watching them recover. I believe in the anointing of oil for the healing of our diseases. I believe he bore my sicknesses and my diseases and his body on the cross and by his stripes that we witness today, I am healed. He bore my infirmities. I believe it, it's true. And here's the last passage I'm going to read, and we'll pray. Sanctification. Oh, it's this sanctification word. It's that, that holiness word. You know, for, for some Christians, holiness is kind of like a, a curse word. You don't ever say that word. They think holiness, oh, that's the old Pentecostal ladies that had the big buns on their head, and they wore long dresses down to here, and the guys wore white sleeved shirts, and they had white walled hairdos with skinny ties. That was holiness. That's not holiness. Holiness is a heart change. Holiness is falling in love with Jesus. Holiness is your heart being changed where you don't want to do the things other people are doing anymore because they're disgusting. Holiness is not having to, not having to, to oh, I, I'm sacrificing by not drinking this, this rum and coke today. It's, holiness is not wanting to have the rum and coke anymore. You know, I've been saved now for 40 years, and I promise you, I'm drinking as much rum, bourbon, vodka, and coke as I want. It's, it's the change of nature. It's a change of nature. It's holy nature. Look what Paul said. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. He said, grace is not a, a license to sin. It's not a cover-up so we can keep living the way the world lives. Oh no, grace, it's amazing. Grace is transforming. Grace makes you into something that you never were on your, in yourself. You're not only taken out of your, your dead tomb, you're brought out and you're made into Christ, Christ's life inside of you. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were bab as baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so even we also should walk in newness of life. There are beautiful pictures in Christianity of spiritual reality. Beautiful pictures. The first one you think of, of course, is the communion, the body and the blood. It's a spiritual reality. It's, yes, it's symbolic, but it's way more than symbolic because there's a reality when I eat his body. There's a spiritual experience in eating his bread and drinking the blood. It's a spiritual experience. There's a, there's a spiritual experience in the, the laying on of hands. It's not just a point of contact. It's a place of impartation where there's an actual spiritual impartation. It's like Plugging a, a plug in the wall is not symbolic. It's not symbolic at all. If you, if you think it's symbolic, go stick your finger in the wall socket and see how it works out for you. It's not symbolic. You're plugging yourself into power. And that's the laying on of hands is like that. In the same way, water baptism is like that. Yeah, it's symbolic, but it's real. It's a, it's a burial service. It's recognizing the person that used to do those horrible, nasty things is a dead man. And he's been buried now. And there's somebody else that's come up out of the water. It's Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. A new man, a new creation. 
Does that mean you're perfect now and you'll never sin? No, it does, doesn't mean that at all, but it means you have a, a place to go for forgiveness and a place to go for change. We're drinking every day from this cup of resurrection and we are being transformed from glory to glory into the image of God, being made into new kinds of people. So here we are in the city of New Orleans and we're witnesses. We're witnesses of something. We've tasted something, and our, our life is a witness of something. We've seen something. Christ has walked into our lives, and, and we are witnesses of that. In this world, everywhere we go, we are witnesses of Christ and His life. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information.